Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball Podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by creator and business savvy, entertainment multi-hyphenate, Marlene Sharp. Marlene is the top dog at Poodle Productions, Inc., and she is the IP strategist and acquisition head of a company called... Rainshine. Rainshine yeah, Rainshine Entertainment. Entertainment. <laughs> I got I got distracted by my son in the background, but yeah, she, she's the, <laughs> the head there. So we're going to be talking to her about everything that she's up to. And she also consulted on the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. So Marlene, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you for finding me. Well, why don't you start off just by telling everybody a little bit about yourself, because you got a lot of experience and work with a lot of clients. Yes. Well, like Curtis, I am from Louisiana, so we have that in common. Maybe we're cousins. I don't know. We need to compare our DNA results, maybe, after, after this is done. <laughs> but we both come from Louisiana. I was born in New Orleans and lived there until after college. So I went to uh, Loyola University in New Orleans. And when I graduated, I went on to graduate school at San Diego State University, uh, got an MFA in musical theater, and was pretty much qualified to do nothing after that. (laughs) And I had a lot of student loans. And um, I, I knew I wanted to be an actor. But I did realize that I would need support just to live. And I, I wasn't really coordinated enough to be an actor slash waiter or uh, server. And so I thought an office job would be the best route for me. So I had a, a few small support positions in offices here and there. And then through temping, I landed at a company called Renaissance Atlantic Films, that was instrumental in the production, the development and production of Power Rangers. So I ended up working at that company, uh, started as a temp and what was a two week temporary position turned into five years of working on Power Rangers and Digimon and uh, so so many other shows um, and shows that originated in Japan and then um, were based on toy properties. So toy lines, uh, merchandise driven entertainment, and then um, uh, were exported from Japan to the rest of the world. And um, I I still continue to do acting and, and I am still an actor, but I don't audition as much anymore, if ever, if I can help it. It's, it's very difficult to lead a double life of going off to audition and sneaking away from the day-to-day of working in the business of entertainment. And so that's where I put most of my focus. And today I am 
queen of the nerds because I have worked on so many nerd focused properties and I'm, I, I am proud to say that Sonic the Hedgehog is one of them. And I've worked on a lot of properties from Japan that have been um, exported from Japan to the rest of the world. And yeah, just uh, trying to survive like everybody else. So what made you want to get into the entertainment industry? I guess I just like being the center of attention. I really don't know because I don't come from a performing family. I was an only child until my brother came along when I was five and a half. And uh, I guess my my mother and my grandmother are very theatrical. My late grandmother, um, very theatrical people, even though they weren't on stage per se. They are just larger than life personalities and they also took me to see a lot of children's theater and I really liked that and I also watched a lot of tv and so I guess early on I um I must have inquired about such things because I I do remember I was a kid I, I went to the library and um checked out books on like how to get your kid into show business so I, I made the connection between watching TV and the, the business of entertainment and, and so forth. But I made that connection, but I'm not exactly sure how that came about. But yeah, I, I always wanted to be in entertainment, didn't, didn't ever want to do anything else. And um, that being said, uh, if I had to do it over again, I might rethink my career choices because it's not the easiest road to take. That's for sure. Well, let's talk about you also have experience in working with autistic and neurodiverse individuals. My son's autistic. So tell us about that experience and how you came to do work with those type of uh, special needs. That's that's a good question. So um, I I have a a very good friend who is she's an artist. She's a digital sculptor. And she started working at a school in Torrance, California, called the Center for Learning Unlimited. She's been working there probably five years or so. And in 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, she contacted me and she said that um, the school, which started as K through 12th grade, had added an animation program for adults on the autism spectrum. And they were about a year away from graduating their first class of eight students in this three-year certificate program. And the, the administration was wondering how to advise the students for to, how to prepare them for life after graduation. And so their program was very focused on technique, uh, art technique, which is not my talent, but I've worked a lot in animation. And so I know a bit about putting together animation pipelines and production schedules and budgets and um, creative development, writing scripts. So she asked me if I would talk to her bosses and just have a conversation with them and and advise them on career opportunities. And I, I wasn't familiar with the neurodiverse population at all. So I didn't know if my advice would 
be appropriate or authentic, but I thought I'll give it a shot. I can share my knowledge and see what happens. So um, that actually started a relationship between myself and the school. And I, I still advise them to this day. And um, my, my role is very loosey goosey. So um, I am a link to the outside world beyond, beyond their academic setting. I help to bring in a lot of guest speakers from the industry for them. And for especially guest speakers who can help them explore career choices that go beyond just working in the studio system. Because the reality of the business is when people think of animation, they automatically picture working on a big crew for a Disney or a Pixar movie. And even the best and brightest in art school, that's not a a realistic career goal. It's very difficult. Um, Even if you're so talented, those types of jobs in the studios are just long hours, a lot of a lot of work and a lot of criticism and politics and so forth. And that's just doesn't fit everybody's personality. So, um, so one thing that I, I like to do is bring in guest speakers who can inspire them with an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, that's one, one thing that we, we feel is important to, uh, to encourage. And then also people who've made careers in animation or animation adjacent industries so um, it, it, just a little bit of poking around on the internet, you can, you can find out how many industries use some form of animation. Um, one interesting example is we had a gentleman come in who specializes in animation for pharmaceutical companies. So pharmaceutical companies will use simulations, 3D simulations to demonstrate the efficacy of drugs on the body. So when a a pharmaceutical rep is going to around to talking to doctors, trying to sell new medications, they'll use these, these films, these animated films to show, okay, the the patient ingests the pill and it goes down the esophagus, it goes here, and this mitigates the swelling here and this and that. So there's a whole cottage industry of animation for pharmaceutical companies, not to mention the, the medical field in general, just uh, like simulating surgeries and things like that for medical students to learn about anatomy and all that stuff. So, so um, really making the students well-rounded about all the different possibilities that there are with animation and giving them encouragement and support. And then we, we are fortunate that we're based in Los Angeles, so we can bring in some of the star power a little bit for the students. Um, and they are super fans of video games and cartoons, animated movies and so forth. So we try to mix it up with speakers who are voice actors or directors or recognizable names. And that, that makes things more fun for them, too. Well, talk about some of the clients that you've had the privilege to work with because you've worked with a, a lot of them. Just kind of give a brief description of, you know, the clients you've worked with and what you've done for them. 
Yeah. Well, um, you know what? I've never, I've never said this on a, on a podcast before, and I've been on a number of podcasts, but one of my favorite people that I ever worked with, and this was like around 2013 or 2014 was Russell Simmons, the music producer. It was such a crazy way that I found him. And, um, he, it was, he was on the verge of starting his all deaf digital YouTube channel. And I had read something in, um, it was one of the trades, maybe variety or Hollywood reporter that he was involved in developing an, a game app for kids that involved animation. And so, um, th- he was working with a, a woman who had, uh, developed the app. And so, um, we had a couple of projects at the, the studio where I was at the time. It was called RGH Entertainment that um, I thought might be a fit because I, I wasn't aware that he was pursuing children's entertainment, but we had some music-driven properties and I thought maybe, and, and some comedy, and I thought, well, I'm going to try to connect with this lady because but, you know, Russell's too big and important and she probably, you know, I wouldn't be able to get to him, but maybe this woman, I could get to her and just, just to explore. So I'm always, I'm kind of a busybody that way. I'll read about something and I'll get fixated on it and then I'll, I'll uh, chase it down <laughs> until I'm satisfied. So, so I was able to connect with his business partner on this project and um, we had a lot in common. She was really nice. And she, and so I told her, I work for a a company that is based in Jordan, in the com- country of Jordan, but we have an LA office and we develop and produce movies and TV series. We we're doing something for Cartoon Network at the time called um, Pink Panther and Pals and um, a TV series about Pink Panther. And we had some other stuff. And I was telling her about how we were developing original projects and I said I don't know maybe there's some common ground because we 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 were also trying to get into the game app world and um and do stuff there but it it was tricky because nobody on staff really had a a whole picture of how that was done so anyway she um she she was interested to talk and she said oh I think I think Russell would love to meet with you he just moved to LA permanently and could could come to your studio and I said well yeah but we're kind of far out I mean we're we're in Woodland Hills and I'm sure he is uh on the west side somewhere which is in traffic God only knows how long that could take so you uh, one feels compelled to warn people about the the traffic situation if they're not already familiar with it but sure enough he came to our office with um Natalia who was the inventor of this app and then um simone who was his right hand and had worked with him for a number of years and so the day that they came to the office was quite a to-do because we didn't get a lot of stars coming to our office and um everybody recognized russell so there was a lot of taking out of cell phones and snapping photos and and so forth and then um what ended up happening was we never did work with him on an app, but we worked with him on an animated series called B-Rock that uh, we had, we collaborated with Wayne Stamps, who's um, 
very accomplished writer. He, he is on the staff of Real Husbands of Hollywood with Kevin Hart. He, he worked on like the first iteration of that and also on Proud Family and bunches of other stuff. So he had created B-Rock and our studio animated it and we were entering it into film festivals and so forth. And we had a full web series of like, I think maybe nine episodes, nine three minute episodes. And so Russell told us about his YouTube channel and he acquired the, the whole series for his YouTube channel and used it to launch the channel. And then we developed some other things with him over the next couple of years. And he was really interested and curious about the process and everything. And he would host us at his house for meetings, which was fun. Um, and then I eventually left the company and went to go work at Sega. And then um, the relationship between RGH and Russell fizzled out after a while for a variety of reasons. But um, I remember that as one of the most pleasant collaborations of my career. So there you go. Well, tell us about Poodle Production Inc. And <laughs> tell us about that company and what you do there. So, so that's my company that I started. Well, it, it started as just a website for me to showcase my work, a glorified resume, if you will. And I was working at Sega when I just bought the domain name and uh, came up with Pink Poodle Productions because I love pink and I love poodles and like pink poodles is like a double whammy. That's like super great. So I wanted to smile when I said my company name and, and, and I have a, a, a built-in mascot. She's um, right here sleeping at my feet. Uh, Blanche is my uh, poodle Bichon mix. And so, um, so I had a mascot, had the name and everything. And then I set it up and just put like video clips of things that I had produced and written and whatnot, put the link on my LinkedIn page. And then, so I was working at Sega at, at the time. And then, uh, then I got a, an offer to go work for another Japanese video game company that had offices in LA and that uh, company is called Level 5. So I was, you know, I was working for other people, but I just kept the, the website up there as a, just a showcase of my work. And then at the end of 2019, I lost my job. Uh, so level five decided to close all of their offices that were not in Japan. And that included our LA office. And then they had one in Hong Kong and one in Seoul, Korea. And it was, it was a rather abrupt announcement and transition. And so I didn't have another full-time job waiting for me. And so, but what I did have was the Pink Poodle website and I had a couple of offers from friends to do some small consulting projects. So I just thought, well, my full-time job is going to be Pink Poodle Productions until otherwise noted, <laughs> until, until indefinitely. So, so that's what I did. And Pink Poodle Productions is, is still there. It's still me and Blanche who's the chairwoman of the board, of course, and the mascot. But um, truth be told, I am a full-time employee of Raintine Entertainment as of last February, but I do have 
the website's still there um, because I, I have my fingers in, in many pies. I, I, I write, write a lot for various online publications and I, I speak on a lot of panels and I don't know, I'm, like I said, I'm a busy body, so I've got a lot of stuff going on and it's just nice to have the website as a, a it's like a, a scrapbook, a showcase, a portfolio, whatever you would like to call it. And it's a banner that, that I know will always be there. I, I can't speak for other companies that hire me, but it's very rare to get a job in the business that is a, a lifetime of employment. So it's, it's also my safety net. So uh, yeah, it's not, it's not super glamorous when you get into the nitty gritty, but it's, it's, it's practical. So tell us what it was like from going from New Orleans to Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Well, on some, I've been here for, I've been in Los Angeles for so long, but still I'm surprised very often at (laughs) habits and, and things that became a part of me living in New Orleans and, and that I expect are just things in the universe, things in the world, but no, they're very specific to New Orleans. And um, so I guess it's a constant period of adjustment, I guess, for a lifetime. But I, I always did want to live in Los Angeles. I, I, even as a kid, I knew as soon as I was old enough to realize that the epicenter of show business was either New York or Los Angeles. I wanted to live in one of those places. And, um, and I figured because of the weather and so forth, that probably the West coast was the place for me. And I am, I am not representative of most people from where I grew up. I I grew up in a small suburb called Metairie and, um, And as as you know, Curtis, uh, especially New Orleans is a very um, a very fun loving culture where people uh, enjoy football and drinking above all else. And I enjoy neither of those things. So (laughs) I didn't fit in there very well. I was very much a a bookworm and a drama nerd and. uh, daydreaming and, and so forth. And I, I, I think I only went to like one saints game in my whole life. And that was when I was in the, uh, the media club in high school and we covered it cause our dance team was dancing at the, <laughs> at the game. But like, I, I didn't, I didn't fit into the football and drinking culture. And, uh, I just felt like there was, there was other stuff, you know, be, beyond for me. So, I guess my transition to Southern California was a little bit easier than somebody who um, maybe feels that New Orleans is their spiritual home. And then, you know, they have to go elsewhere to find themselves. I, I pretty much knew from an early age I'd, I'd have to leave. Tell the listeners about your overseas work and travel experiences in the entertainment business. Oh, yeah. So. Most of my jobs have been with companies that are headquartered in other countries. And that was something that was an eye-opener for me when I moved here to Los Angeles to realize that so many companies 
from everywhere in the world have a presence in Los Angeles, even if it's just like a like one person or a small office. And I guess it makes sense because being the media capital of the world, it, it just makes sense for businesses to have, especially like media businesses, news organizations or um, film distribution and plat- platforms that, uh, that like streaming platforms and networks to have some kind of presence here. But even, even um, like when you think of, let's say Korea, they have a lot of places have like English language media businesses that are based here. So like all the major Korean networks have a a broadcast facility here in Los Angeles so that they can cover news of the Korean American community and um, expats and and so forth. So I I had no idea about that, but, um, but I found out pretty quickly when I got my first job at Renaissance Atlantic Films, which was the company working on Power Rangers and all that, so that company was just a small consultancy, an American man who had worked overseas a lot. And uh, we were pretty much funded by Bandai, which is a big Japanese toy company. So Frank, my boss, Frank Ward, had been the president of Bandai America. So the, the um, Southern California hub for Bandai's business outside of Japan. And so... Um, we were dealing a lot with Japan. Essentially, we, we were a Japanese company because it, they paid Frank as a consultant when he re, when he had retired from Bandai as the president of Bandai America. They retained him on an exclusive basis. So everything we did was related to Bandai and Bandai made the Power Rangers toys and the Digimon toys. And we would have to manage the, um, the TV series and make sure that it was all aligned with the plans to sell the toys. So that's where I found out that that kind of thing was going on in the world and also in show business. And then I guess I got stuck in that, in that world. And so my next job after that, I actually went to work at Disney for a couple of years and that, that was, uh, you know, Disney's an American company. But then after Disney, I worked for a Korean animation studio And in that case, I served as their LA office. I worked from home, but uh, I had to go to Korea every now and then. And um, they really wanted somebody in Los Angeles who could be their point person with the studios. We had some business going on with Disney and um, with some other companies. And I also went to Canada a number of times because we had some Canadian business. Then let's see what else I worked I, I had a, a company of my own for a little bit and two partners. And, uh, and then after that, I worked for a Jordanian company. So it was the same kind of situation. The headquarters, the, there were, the big office was in Amman, Jordan, but they wanted to have people in Los Angeles to pitch projects to the studios and forge those relationships. So did that. Then then I worked for Sega and Level 5, which were both Japanese companies. I worked for the Los Angeles branches of those. And then now Rainshine Entertainment, which is headquartered in Mumbai in India. And so um, here I am <laughs> doing, doing the same thing that I guess the universe has intended 
me to do. Do you have any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about? Yes, there is a big one called Young Captain Nemo. And it's an animated film franchise that Rain Shine Entertainment is spearheading. And it's based on a book series, a children's books, well, middle grade readers. So uh, it's an early chapter book trilogy. So we optioned the books from the author, Jason Henderson, who's an accomplished children's book author. And um, he took the story of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne, which it's um, French. It was originally written in French in the early 1800s and it's it's pretty pretty classic literature. And um, in that story, or there are a couple of uh, works of Jules Verne that feature this seafaring character, Captain Nemo. And uh, Nemo is a name that's familiar to people because it's been used in a lot of different projects through the years. But the original Captain Nemo was the creation of Jules Verne. So the author of Young Captain Nemo took that character of the original Captain Nemo and imagined what it would be like if he had descendants who were living in present day and were traveling the oceans, studying the ocean and working toward ocean conservation and combating eco-terrorism, I guess you could say. And so, um, so it's basically a boys action adventure property. And the hero is a, a young boy of Indian descent. He's a teenager. His name is Gabriel Nemo. And he is like the great, great, great grand nephew of the original Captain Nemo. And um, he believes in using technology to save the oceans, but he has a sister who is more of a hothead and a vigilante. And so there's a rift in the family there. And then there's a, an uber villain who comes along and they have to reconcile their differences over the course of these three books. And we're making them into three films, three animated films. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we're in production right now. Um, we have a script by Jeffrey Reddick, who read the books, and we hired him to adapt the first movie into a movie script. And Jeffrey is very accomplished. He's, he's the creator of Final Destination, the Final Destination movie franchise. And he's also written a lot for animation. So he did a great job on the script. And uh, we're we're working on it right now. Well, so people can keep up with everything that you're doing, throw out your contact information, you know, like social media, websites, anything like that. Yeah. So my my website is pinkpoodleproductions.com. And I am most active on LinkedIn. I am a maniac on LinkedIn. And I also manage the Women in Animation group page. So, and, and anybody can join, it's, it's free to join the group page. You just basically put your name in there and you're accepted through me as the monitor there. And um, we have a lot of great opportunities that come through for screenings and uh, classes and job opportunities. And there are 
more than 17,000 members worldwide. So I'm always on LinkedIn managing that group and then my own profile. But that's probably the best way to keep keep up with me is on LinkedIn. And then uh, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and what else? I guess those are the, the major the major uh, platforms. Well, this last question is going to be like a double question. The first part okay. is tell us something that you really want to co- accomplish before your career is over. And the second part is give some advice to any aspiring media moguls out there. Wow. Something that I really like to accomplish. Well, I would really love to win an Oscar. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, but I'd like all the bells and whistles that come with it to, because to me, winning an Oscar means in, in my childlike mind, it means financial security. It means great projects. It means being in demand for all, all kinds of opportunities. So I not only want to win the Oscar, I want the whole kit and caboodle that that's supposed to come with that whole that that's the package that I'm signing up for is the whole Oscar glamorous uh, uh, movie star package. And um, as far as advice goes, I have two bits of advice that I like to give um, whether people want it or not, but I like to tell people just to be nice to everybody because I like it when people are nice to me and I figure other people like that too. And it's, it seems more, it seems easier to attract bees with honey than with, with vinegar. So why not, why not put goodness out in the world? And even if folks are, are not responsive in the way that you want, maybe you're making a difference in their life and um, you're, you're contributing toward a change in them that that will come eventually. And then also just as much as you can be open to opportunities, even things that don't seem like opportunities uh, to, to try to embrace what lands in your lap and take lemons and make lemonade because I never thought I'd be working in the business in the capacity that I am now. And in the beginning, I was really embarrassed to say that I worked on Power Rangers and all those shows. I thought they were terrible. And I had, I had really lofty goals for myself about winning Oscars and such. And uh, early on, when I was working for my boss, Frank, I remember him giving notes to writers saying, we're not trying to win Emmys we're selling toys so he didn't want the scripts to be good in the sense that they were had a lot of clever dialogue and all that he wanted action sequences that showed off the the gadgets and weapons and vehicles that were part of the toy line these shows are commercials for toys essentially so that was a real wake-up call to me and uh and I never thought I'd be like the nerd poster girl. Um, but oh my goodness, as soon as I started telling people that I was working for Sega, I had so many strangers contact me as people from the Sonic fandom 
and Sega fandom because they were just so curious to know about the people who worked at Sega. And then it started this interesting dialogue that I've had with the rest of the world that loves Sonic and Sega that's lasted to this day. And most of the podcasts that I go to speak, where I go to speak, everyone wants to know about Sonic and Sega. So again, that might not have been my girlhood dream, but I'm, I'm so thankful for it. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Marlene Sharp. Be sure to check her out on LinkedIn and keep up with everything that she's up to. Also, follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible. And check out the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast on the Podbreed Network. Marlene, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And it just hit me, Curveball. That's That fits right in with embracing opportunities that might not seem like it at first, right? Absolutely. That's a great, great title. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. Dream.